0: Hey friends, I am so happy you're here. I'm Annie, your host, and welcome to the Let's Get Uncomfy podcast where I'm right here next to you navigating this crazy, beautiful journey called life. And if I've learned one thing over the years of pivoting my life from military officer to entrepreneur and business owner to content creator and world traveler, it's that we all go through ups and downs. Maybe you're going through some shit right now, or maybe you're living your best life. Either way, I found this journey through life to be one of tremendous discovery about myself and what I want out of it, but also how the world works and how that affects me. I also know that getting uncomfy and following the heart tugs has always led me in the right direction. So I want you to know that you're not alone on this roller coaster of life. I'm figuring it out and bringing you along with me. So hang on. We're going to dig deep and dive in. Let's get uncomfy. What is up, you guys? It's Annie, and I'm so excited to bring you guys a guest interview podcast today. So today's episode is going to be, if you can tell by the name of the episode, it's going to be about... Uh, my relationship with alcohol. And this was a rather uncomfy conversation because it's a conversation I've never really had before. And my guest today is the perfect person to have this conversation with. Maggie and I met actually on Instagram, which I think is so amazing. Um, quick little reminder to you guys that you can meet people that bring you value and wisdom and friendship and um, accountability and all those sorts of things on social media. Uh, I think it's 2022 now and we all probably believe that. But if you aren't taking steps towards finding your people in life, um, (laughs) this is your sign to do so. Maggie and I met on Instagram and we have been chatting now for months before actually, before I took a break from the podcast, Maggie and I were chatting about getting her on the podcast and um, I'm so, so happy that it is finally the time to to bring her to you guys. (laughs) Um, So let's jump to it. Maggie Jensen is a behavioral change specialist and the founder of Magnify Progressive Wellness, a concept devoted to being your one-stop shop for wellness with an emphasis on mental health. Through a unique lens, as a child of an alcoholic, Maggie grew up with the feeling that she was meant to help people struggling to overcome addiction and addictive behavior. She's an alternative recovery coach utilizing her personally curated Magnify Method program to help individuals think different, to drink different, or never again. You can find her on social media and I will link her in the show notes below um, from um, TikTok and Instagram to YouTube and all the links that she shares in today's episode. So without any further ado, here is my interview and my conversation more so than an interview. Um, with Maggie Jensen about alcohol and um, and really analyzing my own relationship with alcohol. But I hope this brings some value and thought provocation provocation? (laughs) Um, to your relationship with alcohol as well. So anyway, let's get into it. All right. Hey, Maggie, how are you? (laughs) Hey, I'm good. I'm so stoked to be here. Oh, I'm so, so happy. Honestly, like this podcast recording is a long time coming. I feel like we were chatting about this months and months ago and the timing only made sense now, which I think is a beautiful thing. I think we're both in a split, like a space that we are just vibing and I'm just so happy to have you on.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. And yeah, of course, you have been just jet setting and living the dream. So I appreciate you taking time out right now to do this with me and just help share my message with your audience.
0: Yeah. And I'm really, I'm really excited about it, honestly, because um, actually what you specialize in and focus on is something that, um, and as we've chatted before, we've kind of chatted through this, but it's something that is close to my heart and something that I have personally been kind of reevaluating myself. And so that's really why I wanted to bring it on the podcast and bring it to this audience, just because I know if it's something that I'm going through, um, I honestly, personally haven't discussed it much but as we start this new season of my podcast and where I'm at in life I feel like it's such an important topic to talk about and you doing what you do and being who you are I felt like it was just you're the perfect person to have this discussion with that I feel safe with and um, I think you just have a really good um, mindset about it so I'm excited to chat
1: um
0: Uh, sorry. Okay. Let's, um, so I already, I, I introd you and everything. So, um, before we dive in and everything, I would love to get a little bit of your background just for everyone listening. Um, I have followed you now for quite a bit and learned a lot about you, but, um, I would love for you to share whatever you feel comfortable with, just how you ended up where you are, um, and what you do. Yeah. Just share with our audience a little bit.
1: Thank you. So, um, I guess just to start off, I do want to, you know, give the heads up that this is a sensitive subject. The things that we're going to talk about and the things that I highlight from my background that led me here are heavy subjects. Um, and I don't want to start off the, the journey and telling the story with the intent of anybody feeling sorry for me because I want everybody to know that if you resonate with what I'm about to say, what I've been through, then that just means that you're not alone and that you can come out with the hero mindset. So going back in time, I was the youngest child to a pretty normal family. My dad was military. My mom was a a special education teacher. Um, But around age five, my dad was consistently deployed. He was in Central America at the time as a Spanish linguist and my mom, just seemed to lose herself. Um, Around age five, there started to be this disconnect. And as a kid, I didn't know how to put it into words or what was the cause, but I could feel the isolation. And by the time I was six, my brother was telling me about divorce, what that was. My parents were going to go ahead and file for divorce. And my brothers started filling me in on what alcohol was. And that became, you know, what I learned to be the reason why my mom started to disconnect. And she went from this very loving and responsible mother figure to somebody who isolated herself and became very angry and filled with rage. And that really, really has a lot of effect on children. Um, There's actually classification of kids. I didn't learn this until I started to look into it myself, Um, but there's something called children of alcoholics as a group, a psychological group of people. Um, and then they grow up, if they make it out of childhood, into adult children or alcoholics. And there's all of these different types of indicators of what you're going to experience and what difficulties you're going to have as an adult, having experienced that disconnection and trauma from childhood. And so going through, you know, just the tumult of that, learning that I had to keep secrets, learning that I couldn't tell my teachers. I was actually the one that would typically call the cops if things got out of hand um, and I was the one that was reprimanded and kind of put into this scapego- scapegoat role. Uh, and even though I really hated alcohol, that all took a turn when my brother, Eric, who was two years older than me, um, he actually took his life when he was 14 and I was 12. And he was basically the, the enabler. He took on that role in the family. And so he had to grow up a lot faster than I was. Um, and after he passed away. It was only about six months before what I had learned about emotional processing started to play in my life. I was 13 when I started to drink. And that was the first time that I felt this warmth and this happiness for my whole life, really since five years old. And (laughs) let me tell you, Annie, for the next 16 years, it's just like literally a shit show. Um, And I say it with a laugh now, because that's really the only way that I can move on and and just say, you know what, you live and you learn. Um, There was uh, so many hiccups along the way, but I also had really great support that I can see now in hindsight. Um, And it took me, like I said, 15 years, it was 2020, when I finally decided I'm gonna try dry January. (laughs) And that was the first time that I was pretty successful. I had a few hiccups again. Um, And then February 15th of 2020, I was like, I'm tired of the anxiety. I'm tired of the shame, the guilt, all of the problems. I had received multiple DUIs. I had lost jobs. I had pretty much, I was on the track to become my mother, unfortunately. And um, it was like this, just this moment where I know I wasn't at rock bottom, but for me, it was enough to say, oh, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And that's when I tried something that was so incredibly different than the natural kind of traditional narrative around the approach to mend or heal your relationship with alcohol or even go completely sober. And that's what gave me the power to do so. That's what gave me the power because I had gone to AA with my mom. I had learned kind of the traditional ideas around it. You just have to chase sobriety. Don't set any other goals. And we've talked before where you, Mm -hmm. you know, you tried sobriety and it seemed like that just didn't fit your life. So I think the way that people talk about sobriety paints it to be very black and white and very restrictive, but also we can open up this new conversation about healthy moderation. Mm -hmm. Just because somebody is struggling with alcohol does not mean that they have to cut it out entirely. And that's where a lot of people get stuck that they have to go all or nothing and there's so much gray area in between for success and growth and progress, and that's really what I intended to do. Once I found my power, I started to um, go ahead and get certified and get all my coursework done for behavior change, and even in personal training and fitness, I saw how incremental those were, or I'm sorry, how imperative those were for this journey, and I'm just so excited now that I have the magnify method, which is my curated approach to help people think different in order to drink different or never again.
0: Oh, I love that. And I just want to say thank you for sharing all of that. I know like that was the the quick of it. I know that that was just like the abbreviated version. But so much of what you shared was really was deep and a big life events that you know, shouldn't be just breezed over. And so I just want to say thank you for feeling comfortable to share that with me and with everyone who's going to listen to this. I know, I know for certain someone out there um, is going to listen and, and just feel like, wow, I feel seen. I feel hope. You know, I think your story is so beautiful because um, whatever, like, all of your circumstances and situations combined could have led you to a completely different, you know, reality right now as we sit here you know what month it September 2022 like um, everything that led up to this moment is just uh, hope for someone that they can also do it um, whether they're in the midst of fighting a battle with alcoholism and they and they realize that or somebody who's just out there that's just kind of curious like um, I don't know maybe alcohol is not a, a positive part of my life but they don't even know where to begin to like classify that or how to get around that. And um, that's actually kind of the first thing I wanted to kind of dive into is um, there's, you know, and we talked about this before and you kind of touched on it just now speaking. It's like, you know, there's this idea that like alcohol is a part of our lives and it's a part of society and culture and social media and you see it everywhere in community and events and and connecting with people. And it's like it's not supposed to be a problem until you're like a full blown alcoholic and like and you know drinking 24/7 and and your family and friends sitting you down and telling you that you have a problem and and like that's the only time <laughs> i feel like that's the vision of like that's the only time that i'll admit i ever have a problem and like i don't drink in the mornings or like i don't drink unless I'm being social or like all these things that we kind of tell ourselves, it's like, I don't, there's no way I have a problem, you know? So my question is to you, that's a little bit of lead up to this is like in your opinion or when you work with clients, you know, what is, um, how do you classify having a problem with alcohol or, or getting to a point that you should reevaluate your relationship
1: with alcohol? I love this question, thank you. And thank you for being open with it and not just you know pigeonholing it into, you need to go completely sober like so many people think. Um, so alcoholism, uh, an alcohol addiction for so long was that black and white. Um, you either can live with it and be having fun and be mentally healthy or you're that person on intervention, right? It's like, there's no area in between. But recent studies have been updated and shown that it's actually and been reclassified as um, instead of alcohol addiction it's alcohol use disorder, which is a spectrum disorder so AUD and on the spectrum there's four different stages, so the first stage is kind of typically not even really specified as being on the spectrum, that's low to no risk. So that's kind of what you think about the normal um, social responsible drinker, the type of person that can go out. And I used to think this person was beyond weird. The type of person that could go out and have one glass of wine or one martini and then switch to water and be like, cool, I'm good to go to bed or go about my day. They don't need to keep going and keep going. Uh, They don't have any you know, high tolerance, no issues that's cool, you're good to go. Uh, And then that kind of mild to moderate stage is next. And this is where people's tolerance start to come up. So you might need to be having four to five drinks to get that same buzz as the one to two, Um, but it's really not posing any issues with your physical health yet, or like work or legal issues. But this is typically where people start to have mental health issues alcohol is a suppressant. And when people go from stage one to stage two, the mild to moderate, um, that's typically when they start to feel the increase of anxiety. So the depressants that are in alcohol or the reaction with the depressants in your body um, cause you to catastrophize everything. If you've ever felt that Uh, Maybe if you drank in the morning and in the evening, all of a sudden you're very anxiety ridden or the next day, the next two days, you turn a molehill into a mountain and you think that everything is really difficult. And stage two is where I hope if people recognize the mental health aspect is lagging, but you still have control over your family, your relationships, your physical health, that's a really good point to say, I'm going to put my foot down and learn some healthier strategies.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: learn some boundaries learn that alcohol shouldn't be used to alleviate stress but rather to kind of magnify the high vibes yeah alcohol is a magnifier so whatever emotions you're feeling it's going to magnify those and then on the end of that add the anxiety yeah. um so that's a really good point. sorry go ahead
0: do you find that you have clients or people that come to you at that stage? I feel like at that stage, sometimes you almost like associate those maybe mental struggles or like the anxiety or um, that the anxiety, whatever, like you associate they're like, oh, that, that can't be rel- linked to alcohol. Like I have so much fun when I go out with my friends, like there's no way I'm going to stop that. I'm just going to get a hand. I'm going to go to therapy because obviously I'm. You know, going through some stuff. You know, like I do you find that people relate that to alcohol use, or do you? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like, I feel like yeah. it's so common to just be like,
1: "Oh, like ugh, that's, that's just crazy. life." Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, I think that's. I'm so glad you brought that up. I think that's definitely where I was when yeah. I look back in that stage of my life. I didn't think it was the alcohol whatsoever. I wasn't, nobody taught me that alcohol, and I don't think it's really talked about now it's becoming more mainstream, but nobody really taught me that like alcohol is going to make you feel depressed the next day because of our hormones, because of the way our body works and responds to that huge rush of dopamine that we get when we are drinking, then we're absolutely devoid of any levels of dopamine. So we're going to experience the opposite. Um, So nobody ever taught me that. So I just thought that my life was chaotic. I thought that I was the victim. Yes. Yeah. So Annie just did this roller coaster hand motion because that's what I felt like, and I felt like I was just having to be reactive to the things that life was throwing at me. Um, and to get a little bit more mindsety here, something that I learned in the long run was that. That anxiety, that alcohol was exacerbating, was causing me to ruminate over issues. And we all know the more you think about stress, the more you attract it into your life. So um, one of my favorite yeah. mentors that I read from, obviously he's passed, he's well gone, but um, Earl Nightingale said that what you think about all day long is what your life will be. And I realized that I was attracting that more into my life, but I didn't ever equate it to alcohol. Mm. Um, So alcohol in this stage, uh, this is actually where alcohol really starts to affect your sleep because you're drinking at such high levels that you're not getting quality sleep. And sleep is actually when our body and our brain will physiologically process emotions. Mm. So if you're not getting good sleep because alcohol impairs that, you're going to then think about the anxiety. And then on top of that, you're not processing whatever current emotions you are experiencing. Oh wow! It really just does add up. And so there's so much to know about like the healthy way to process and uh, use alcohol in your life. And then when to set those boundaries of like, right now, I know that I'm going through some stuff. So I need to maybe just take a little alcohol vacation, even if it's just four or five days, if that's longer than what you're doing right now, then that's going to help.
0: Right. So then go ahead. (laughs) No, I was saying, okay, so that, no, all that is just amazing. Um, that was the second stage you said. Okay. Mm
1: -hmm. And then stage three is, this is really kind of a turning point. Um, stage three is typically where your tolerance is so high that it is normal to you to drink uh, 10 servings in a day, or maybe even in a setting where it's like three to four hours. Um, this is where people start to experience issues where they can't hide their alcohol intake. Uh, whether that's legal issues for me, it was multiple DUIs. I'm so thankful that, you know, I never hurt anybody in the process, but that's also where legal issues come in. Almost all criminal acts come from people who are intoxicated Uh, so yeah, it's, it's wild. Dr. Jordan Peterson talks a lot about that. Um, so legal issues, your familial and, uh, even your romantic relationships will start to disintegrate or become tumultuous. Mm -hmm. Um, your work performance, it decreases. You're not as energetic. You start to stress out about work. And so you're starting to cause a lot of issues there. You might even get laid off. This is typically where if somebody is going to make a change before they hit rock bottom, this is where I hope. And this is where most of my clients come to me. Um, They're not physically dependent or mentally dependent necessarily, but they are thinking in terms of alcohol. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to go to this party unless there's an open bar. I'm not going to go to this restaurant unless they have a bar. I remember when I would get mad that my friends offered to go to Cracker Barrel because I was like, they don't have cocktails at Cracker Barrel. They don't have cocktails at Jason's Deli. Mm -hmm. So you start to actually plan your life around your next drink, almost as if your entire personality is becoming Mm -hmm. alcohol. And then that leads into stage four. And stage four, one of the biggest indicators of that, and you mentioned this uh, kind of in your your replicated narrative of how people typically think if they don't have an issue, this is where people usually will start drinking in the morning because they're trying to get through the shakes. If they still have a job, they're trying to get there on time without the hangover. They're trying to push through the withdrawal. This is typically where the narrative turns from, I need to stop drinking at night so I don't have a hangover to, I'm just gonna keep drinking so that I'm still drunk tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And this is where if people want to learn to go sober or cut back, you have to do it it, with a very professional medical approach because your body is now dependent upon it. Um, Mm -hmm. This is typically where inpatient treatment facilities are necessary, but there are other ways for people that that's not an option uh, to do it at home safely, learn to cut back, but I do suggest having support and having accountability and even a community of people that are doing the same thing as you. So those are the four stages and and I love your question. I, I hate the fact that typically people don't get help or reach out, get support until stage four, until they have hit rock bottom. And that's when it's the most difficult. I don't see alcoholism addiction as a disease at all. I see it as a level of consciousness and a lack of awareness, but I do see it similar to a disease, say like cancer, where the sooner you catch it, the sooner you get it under control, the quicker you can resume normal, happy, successful life. And even perhaps reintegrate alcohol into your life. And Mm -hmm. if you're stage one or stage two. I for sure have confidence that you can reintegrate it back into your life. You just need to learn those normal boundaries. You can at stage three or stage four, but in the end, it's kind of like, do you want to risk your physical health? If you're in a stage four, your liver probably needs a lot more TLC than just a little alcohol vacation. So mm just some food for thought. And I hope that anybody in your audience that feels like, oh my gosh, I just recognize I'm at stage two. Like, let's get, let's get you on track. I'm at stage three, I'm at stage four. Don't lose hope. That doesn't mean that all hope is lost or you're too diseased or too damaged. That just means that we just got to put in the work, honey. Mm -hmm.
0: And I think just like even having like the permission, I say that with like air quotes, like the permission to at stage two, um, take a step back and be like, Oh, okay. So I can kind of reevaluate this and take a look at like how this is affecting me because I mean, personally, and this, I, and I kind of want to tie in a little bit of my experience um, if I can because oh, I'd love to hear. personally, I feel like um, it's it's like not accepted to at at stage two, let's say, to be like oh, like I I have a problem and need to like you know take a look at it, right? Because people around you. And I know personally in my environment, obviously I think environment can definitely like trigger something that's within you that maybe was never there before. Um, in my case, I, I really never drank, I, I didn't really drink alcohol, um, a whole bunch. I mean, when going out, like a little binge drinking for a, you know, bachelorette party or right whatever, you know, like, Oh, a, a, an event or, a weekend or something like that um I went to military academy college so um I will say when we went hard we went hard but like for the most part like we were sober in bed by nine like um you know and so it's very interesting to see how my environment has changed in moving to Dallas which Dallas is a very heavy eat and drink party go out city um And just surrounding myself with the environment of like the culture is every day you go out for happy hour every day. There's something to do. There's a club, a bar, a all night long thing to be around. And nobody's considering the fact that like, we're all experiencing anxiety, right? Like at one point I was in a group child, like, you know, 10 girlfriends and we're all experiencing anxiety the next morning, but because everybody is, it's kind of like, Oh, like there's no way I could have a problem if, like, they're all experiencing the same thing. Like, I'll get over it, you know, whatever. And kind of you make fun of yourself. You're like, oh, I knew I was going to feel like shit today, but whatever, we get through. And, and like, I think it's <laughs> a big roundabout way of saying, like, anybody that's listening that maybe like that stage two place there are definitely probably people out there that they're there, but it doesn't, it doesn't bother them enough to like do anything about it. But there could be people listening where they're like, oh, wow. Okay. At that stage, I can actually decide like, yeah, that is not how I want to feel. Um, and kind of reevaluate some of their surroundings or their environment. Um, I know that there are certain people that I hang around that promote those activities and that sort of stuff a lot more than other people um and sometimes it's hard to make like those decisions and stuff but I think like if because for me I see myself as like if I'm being really honest like somewhere between like two and three like I have tried to cut out alcohol and I lasted I think like seven days back in October I did like try to do sober October and I lasted like seven days and then I was like okay like to me I told myself I was like Yeah. Oh my God. I made it seven days. I could do this forever, but I choose (laughs) not to. So I'm gonna like, I'm going out tonight, you know? And and it was like so hard for me. But I did go out to clubs, I did go out to bars, we went to bottle service and I stayed sober the entire time. And I was fine. And so I was like, okay, well, I proved to myself that I could do it. So let's jump back in. And but Mm -hmm. but if I'm being really real with myself and getting into this uncomfy conversation a little bit, like yeah, it, I, I have recognized within myself that, you know, I definitely feel mental health, um, my mental health being affected, um, when I do drink alcohol and especially like repeatedly, like not just a glass of wine at dinner, but like, you know, Oh, happy hour. And then you go out to dinner and get a glass of wine and then you're getting a cocktail and then, you know, then it's hard to say no to the next one. It Me personally, I've realized that about myself. So right. I say all this to say like someone listening that if you're at a, the stage two place, like it's okay to like realize that and not feel like obligated by the people around you to be like, oh no, everyone else is feeling it too. It's fine. You know, so I, I just think that's a really, um, I think someone out there maybe needs to hear that.
1: Yeah, and especially coming from you, like so many people in your audience look up to you and to hear that, you go through this as well and like you've tried in seven days, you know, for somebody that struggled to make it one or two days to hear that you made it seven days, they're like, okay, like that can give them some inspo. So thank you for sharing that part and touching on the environmental aspect. Again, uh, if you look at my content, you're going to see how like mindset focused I am, because it all starts from your thoughts and a really big, um, eye-opening, literature realm of literature for me was the science of success and learning about frequencies Mm. and the way that, um, the people that you surround yourself with, whether you like it or not, if you surround yourself with them, you are going to put yourself on the same frequency as them on the same vibration. And the people that you're hanging out with, if they are partiers, it's going to seem more enticing for you to get on their level. Quite Mm -hmm. frankly, like, as we say in the streets, get on their vibe, be with them in their vibe, you know, Um, but something that's so important to help you to help somebody that's in that position where they have friends who love to go out. They have friends that, you know, they love to take part in the culture of their city. I live in Las Vegas, so I definitely understand uh, that culture is to have that healthy relationship with those people. If you want those people in your life and they are true, valuable friends But then to also have kind of your own frequency, have your own lane that you love. So for you, I know that that's your travel, that's your podcasting, your content creation, Arbonne, setting these goals. Yeah. Setting these goals that are genuine to your passions helps you create this healthy relationship with like, okay, today I'm going to work on my goals. Mm -hmm. tomorrow I'll go out and I'll have fun.
0: And you know, what's interesting about you saying that? Sorry, did I cut you off?
1: No, 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 come on.
0: Um, what's interesting about you saying that is like, when I really started, and this is like when I was kind of new to Dallas, like, you know, maybe six months there. I, I just who I am. I'm very like goal oriented. I'm very like driven. When I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to, I'm doing it. And, um, what I realized was, what I realized when I, wait, let me reword that. When I realized I needed to take a look at like my relationship with alcohol was when all of a sudden, like I wasn't doing the things I said I wanted to do. I wasn't getting the work done that I said I wanted to get done. I wasn't doing the podcast. I wasn't hitting my workouts. I was, you know, there was even a time where like you know, I would say I'm going to put something out to my community. And then I, and I didn't, right. And it was because like so much of my time was filled with going out, partying, drinking, waking up with anxiety. And like, I have actually never really shared that with anyone, especially people in this audience. So, um, but like, and I say that to say that that was a moment, a definite moment for me where I had to reevaluate myself and be like, yo, like, who am I? Like, am I going to let that be the road I go down? Or am I going to realize like, wow, I said, this was a goal of mine. And I chose knowingly to go out to drink with friends, which is fine. But me knowing who I am, like, it is hard for me to go home after one drink. And it is hard to stay out after only one drink. So it was like, you know, the fact that I chose that over the goals I had set and the things that I said were a priority to me, that was the moment where I was like, Hmm, Annie, what the fuck, you know? Um, and so to anybody out there, who's maybe wondering like, Oh, well, how would I know? Like, I would ask, I would say to like, ask yourself and I'm no professional here, but like, ask yourself, like, are you sticking to your word? Like, are you doing the things you say are a priority to you that are bettering you? Um, Mm -hmm. or are you, you know, in the moment being like, it's fine. Like, it'll just be one drink, you know, and in the back of your head, you're kind of like, it won't won't be one drink, you know?
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You touch on so much. So I want to kind of go back and share, first of all, a quote that ties so well into this. And that's a quote by Robert Heinlein, which was a science fiction writer, um, but definitely works well in this realm. Um, And he said, in the absence of clearly defined goals, we become strangely loyal to daily trivia until ultimately we become enslaved by it. Mm. And in my 16 years of dangerous binge drinking, alcoholic behavior, I didn't have goals that were genuine to me. You touched on you know, having your priorities, having the things that you say you're gonna do. And those are so important. But in addition to that, Are your priorities and the things that you're saying that you're going to do manufactured goals? Are those things that your spouse told you you should do or that you think you should do because your kids would think better of you? Or is that something that you think you should do because your parents think you should go for the doctorate degree, but you actually want to be a singer? Is it that your grandparents, for me, my grandpa wanted me to be um, an Air Force officer and a pilot. I wasn't math. My brain didn't work with math and science like that. Um, So I was going after things thinking that this is what I, I want to do without ever actually asking myself, what do you really want? What is it that you really want to do? So when I was going out and trying to moderate and seeing no success, it's because I see in hindsight, I was trying to force myself to love things I didn't love. Mm -hmm. When I started to follow things that I love, personal training, fitness and nutrition, mindset, literally what I'm doing now, Mm -hmm. uh, then it became so easy. I I say easy. It was after an alcohol vacation, after a lot of um, internal work, but now it's easy to go out and have one or two Mm -hmm. because I know tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I'm going to work on something that I love versus tomorrow I'm going to go to work at a place that I hate because my boss, uh, my parents told me that I should probably work there and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. So it's about creating the life that you don't want to escape from and be sick all the time in. And I think that's when in stage two, when people are like, oh, is this anxiety from life or is this anxiety from alcohol? They credit life because they're not actually doing anything in their life that's genuinely Mm passion-filled, that actually speaks to their spirit and allows their spirit to grow and expand and be interested in expressing itself largely. Um, So the goal setting and the environment is so important, whether your goal is complete sobriety or moderation, Mm -hmm. that's where I work most intensely with clients. And that's where I had to work so intensely with myself was setting goals and actually getting to work on them, Mm -hmm. uh, things that were genuine to me and then learning about my mind and learning about the fact that my thoughts are going to be the first thing that indicate my behavior. Mm -hmm. No, that was a long tangent.
0: (laughs) No, no, no. You're fine. Um. Okay. You guys know how important journaling is to me. I share all about it on social media and even here on this podcast. It's helped me cope, process, and heal from all sorts of life events. And I've been doing it for years, which is why I want to share my strategy around how I've made it so impactful in my life. Journaling can seem overwhelming or boring or even pointless if you don't have any intention or purpose around it. That's why I've created my 30-day guided journals to help you form a daily habit around impactful journaling. So use the code UNCOMFY to grab the bundle of both journals, which adds up to 60 days of journal guidance and prompts for only $9.99. Download them directly after purchase so you can even start today. Go to com forward slash annies dash shop and use the code uncomfy, U-N-C-O-M-F-Y at checkout to grab them now. Link in details. Record and just jump right. Up. Okay, I, I love that quote and I love exactly what you talked about, um, about like, your lifestyle and what you're living and what you're doing and what you're engrossed in. Um, and I think also to add on to that, um, is like complacency. So like, I found myself, like, honestly, I was at like the peak of my career making the most I've ever made, like, you know, living luxuriously, like single for the first time, like feeling really confident in like who i was becoming but also found myself in a new stage of life where i was like you know what like i'm i'm complacent in this aspect in my goal in my goal um i guess like world in terms of income and career and fitness and like all these things. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm fine here. So I'm going to focus over here and I'm going to focus on the friends and making girlfriends again and, and loving this new city that I'm in and, and the complacency in this area, which you guys, obviously you can't see me, but I'm doing kind of like two separate bubbles here. Like the complacency in my career, my day-to-day, my goals led to like, just the complete disregard of that. And then when the decision was, Oh, do I, you know, stay in to focus on this? It was like, Meh. you know, Meh, I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm, I'm fine. You know, I don't need to sacrifice over here for this. And, um, and maybe if you guys can relate to that listening, you know, and what I ended up doing is, is stretching myself, like getting uncomfortable in different ways, finding new hobbies. Um, honestly, I submerged myself into a new community, into the fitness community of Dallas. So like I started, yeah. working, this is the time I started working at F45. Like I, then this was the first time I decided, you know what, I'm going to solo travel. Actually, I'm going to kind of separate myself for a little bit. And so it's starting to do some new things that, you know, did excite me, did align with who I am and the life I want to live. Um, that helped me tremendously because it wasn't such a this or that decision. It was, it wasn't like a, oh, I have to sacrifice what I was saying was my priority, the friends, the socializing, the new city over the thing that I said I'm kind of complacent in. It was then more like, oh, well, like I'm coaching these people at 45. Like that excites me now, like, okay, I'm going to stay in. And, you know, and so that sort of thing, if you guys are struggling with that,
1: that's something that helped me a lot. Right. It changes your attitude about how you can spend your time. And I love that you said that it wasn't like you had to sacrifice what you felt as like your valuable friendships and going out in order to add in Mm -hmm. the same. That we're going to make you feel good mentally and then physically as well and kind of help you stretch in that career area and that personal development area. Yeah. So often I see the approach being you have to go from seven nights a week with this group of people or you know three or four nights a week mm-hmm. to nothing, don't even talk to them. Right. And then on top of that, don't really go after any new goals, just really focus on not drinking hmm it's like well now cool I'm gonna sit around and twiddle my thumbs like right <laughs> and then and then, <laughs> yeah, like,
0: yeah and then in that in that world like in that scenario it becomes like focusing on your mental health and something you thought was going to help you feel better actually just puts you in a position where you're lonely you're bored you feel like you have no friends you have no support and then you're just looking like you know, out the window, sadly at all your friends having fun. And you're like, gosh, I thought this was going to help. And now I just feel more miserable. And then, then go back and you get back into the cycle. You know Um, what I, what I actually realized um, when I started kind of feeling these things and you kind of, you actually touched on this a little bit and I, I didn't bring this up until just now, but um, I had this, you know, this big group of girlfriends, right. And um, other, you know, other little groups of friends here and there, but what I realized was when I was feeling these things and we we're all kind of joking about the anxiety, we're joking about the like, Oh gosh, like I wish we could just have a Friday night in for once, you know, like, ha ha, you know? And then there's always that one person that's kind of like definitely more like pushing the going out and everyone's like, oh, okay, fine. That's just kind of what we do. So we just do it. You know, I actually found that when I started feeling that the way I was feeling like, okay, maybe this, this whole cycle of going out, getting drunk, waking up, feeling anxious, feeling like shit, doing it again. Like maybe that's not what I want to do. I realized that other people in the group, maybe even though they weren't taking action in changing that, they were feeling the same way. So when I started making plans with people in this group of like, Hey, let's all cook a meal tonight. Let's cook at my apartment. Let's watch a movie. Let's hang out. Let's do a little girls night, bring your dogs. Like let's do that. You know, people got excited over that rather than like going out, spending money, going to the bars. And because I wasn't, you know, I was kind of giving them community in terms of like, Hey, you're not alone. Like, I don't want to do this, but I want to be with you guys. It wasn't like a, sorry, like I'm better than you. And I'm over this drinking or, you know, I want to feel better. And you guys are what's leading to me, not feeling good. It was like a, you know, this, this habit of going out is what's not helping me, but I love you guys and my friends in this community. So Mm -hmm. let's, you know, let's figure this out and having that conversation, obviously there was always people who were like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm going to go out. Like you guys have a night in, but like, I'm gonna go out. But in all of my friend groups, I found that there are two, three, one, whatever it is. Like there is someone else that feels similar. If you feel the way you're feeling like by just being genuine and like, you know, I think the way you said it before was like, if those are friendships that you want to keep and if they're real friendships then, like, you can be open with those people and and share that with them. Of like, hey, let's let's actually go to a movie, you know, or let's you know let's go get a workout. Um, let's right. walk. You know, in Dallas, there's a the beautiful trail. Let's walk the trail. Let's pick up rollerblading. Like, those are some of the things that I did. Yeah, yeah. and and just gives you the sense of community and not like the aloneness that potentially like walking away from that drinking culture um, might think like, you might think that that's the only way to do it is by being lonely and just saying no to all your plans, but you can come up with like different plans that,
1: you know, I don't know. One hundred. Yeah, no, 100%. I think we all assume that we're going to ruffle feathers when we bring up like an idea to change routine in our friend group. But like you said, if one person is thinking it and experiencing it, it's likely that at least one other person in the friend group is. Right. And kind of with all that being said to anybody that might end up bringing this up to their friend group and they get kind of a a, a shock that, wow, maybe my friends aren't as good of friends as I thought I had. Uh, If they aren't as supportive as your friends were to say like, yeah, let's have a night in and let's let's just cook and do all these things. I know that's where I was. I only had one or two friends, but they were long distance friends. Most of the people that I was hanging out with day to day were people that wanted to stay at the bar. There were people that were not willing to change their routine and that was like ripping a Band-Aid. But what I say to anybody that might find themselves in that situation is that you can become your own best friend. Mm -hmm. What I found that um, my drinking and my need to be out with friends drinking, what that was stemming from was an inability to be by myself and sit with my feelings without Judging myself and dwelling and really casting a lot of self imposed hatred. Uh, How could you have done this to yourself? How could you have done this to your life? That's what I experienced when I was alone because I had very unhealthy mental status. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I was using friends and alcohol to distract myself. But with a little bit of time, not hanging out with those people, and then actually getting to a point where I talked to myself in a way that I would talk to a best friend then I was able to say, you know what? I'm okay with the fact that nobody wants to hang out on a Friday night with me going on my walk. Like you said, rollerblading. Mm -hmm. I love my Impala skates. They are so cute. Um, (laughs) You know, going rollerblading or I love going to Hobby Lobby or Barnes and Noble. You know, I do, I found all of these little things that I love to do on my own because your relationship with yourself needs to be the healthiest in order for your relationship with alcohol to be what you want it to be as far as, and I do this with air quotes, normal, responsible drinking. Like I said, the person that I thought was always weird, the one or two drinks um, and then can switch to water. And every once in a while, like you said, like go out for a fun binge bachelorette weekend. Cool. But for the majority of the time you're drinking responsibly and normally that really starts from not needing to escape your own self and being Mm -hmm. secure in if you go out with your friends, can you ignore the one that's saying shots, shots, shots? You know, can you be secure that you're having fun without that? Mm-hmm. Um, and what I say to that is that absolutely you can.
0: I love, I love that you said, you know, because that is true. Not everybody has, I, I was blessed to move to Dallas and and find a girl group that I did. Um, not everybody has that. And the understanding and just like the permission to anybody out there listening, like, here's your permission that like, you can be your best girlfriend. Um, figuring out how to be alone was probably one of the hardest Mm -hmm. things and journeys I've been on. And like, just figuring out who the hell is Annie when I'm sitting by myself, when I'm not trying to impress a partner, when I'm not trying to, you know, get along with friends, when I'm not trying to be the life of the party, like who am I? Like when I'm not trying to be the business girl, like, who am i what am i about like it's uncomfy. like it's hard like to sit with yourself and not try to mm-hmm. distract yourself with alcohol social media friends things plans goals like any of that stuff but just like being with yourself and that is such a well worth a journey to embark on and um regard like whether or not this episode r- resonates with you i think like if anything i think everybody can work on the relationship they have with themselves so I I think that that was a beautiful thing that you said and I love that um to change gears a little bit just before we kind of um dial this down I guess um I was going to ask you and just to have this conversation because I know it's something I'm curious about and I'm sure people listening are curious okay so if let's say and I'll talk for me okay if I, you know, I'm someone who has consistently tried to reevaluate and kind of try to figure out my relationship with alcohol and, and the place that alcohol can be in my life, if, if anywhere. Um, What is your recommendation, recommendations, sorry, what is your recommendation in terms of um, going completely sober versus you know, just, I heard someone on TikTok actually say like, instead of going dry, I'm going damp, you know, like what, (laughs) what is your recommendation? What are your thoughts? Like just really and authentically and and your experience, especially with working with so many people, like, you know, is it possible to try to just moderate consumption or should you go dry for a certain amount of time before trying to re-enter into your life? Like, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Absolutely. I love this conversation. And Um, What I'm finding to be the, the only trend I'm seeing really with clients and myself is that both goals, whether you're searching for sobriety or healthy moderation, start from two phases. The first phase, and these are very individual. I want to let everybody know that, like, I really hope that you can reach out to me um, and ask for support. Even if you don't become a client, like I want you to have the right approach here. But um, in the beginning, it's about cutting back. So it's going to depend on how much you're drinking now. If you're saying stage four, you're going to cut back just by like a serving a day or two servings a day until ultimately then you're cutting back and you're not drinking for one day, then two days then three days. Um, if you are drinking kind of like I was maybe three to four times a week, but it's 10, 20 plus servings, then you know, cut back to once a week or once or twice a week. In that time, instead of putting all of your focus, even though you are cutting back, instead of putting all of your energy and focus into the fact that you are cutting back, what I actually want you to try is something called a thought audit. And it's kind of like a journal session exercise every day. You just really need to become aware of what you believe right now, who you think you are, and who you think you're not. And you touched on this as far as building that relationship with yourself. This is where that starts. I noticed that a lot of people think that they are thinking positively in their day-to-day life when they're actually just wishing positively, but believing negatively. Mm. I wish that I could get through this day without alcohol, but their actual belief is this day is going to be so hard. I bet I won't make it through without a drink. Mm. So when you can highlight those beliefs as a thought audit and then turn it around. So basically what I tell my clients, I have them do is get a sheet of paper, draw a vertical line on the left-hand side you're gonna write down these beliefs that you start to become aware of. You're gonna write down, I don't believe that I can make it through a day without alcohol. I don't believe that I can have fun without alcohol. And this is all gonna be, like I said, very specific and unique to whatever your circumstances. I can't get over my brother's death without alcohol. That's kind of where I was coming from. Um, And then on the right-hand side, you look at the statement that you said on the left-hand side and you complete, you, you come up with a completely polarizing statement. So instead of, I cannot have fun without alcohol, it's, I am so fun with a clear head. Mm. Every time you think I can't have fun without alcohol, you instead kick that idea out and you implant and replace it with that right-hand side statement, the positive lens statement. What's happening here is you're reprogramming your mind, which your mind is the ground zero for behavior. So every time you state that polar opposition statement, you're going to be rewriting the program. In addition to just stating it in your mind, saying it in the mirror, writing it out, using different energy. And I kind of talk about energetics in my program, which is like coming from a standpoint of like, start acting like the person that doesn't struggle with alcohol.
0: What do they eat?
1: What do they look at in the grocery store? How do they fold their clothes? Well, they're not Drinking while they're doing chores anymore. So now they're like moving with energy. They're excited to do their housework. So just the way you feel about your life starts to change and gives you a little confidence. So in that cutback phase, you're getting some wins under your belt. That's the most important thing. You have to have a winner's attitude to go into the next phase, which is the alcohol vacation. Mm -hmm. For my clients, a lot of them are terrified in the beginning of going for 30 days without alcohol or even a week without alcohol. But after that little cutback phase, by the time they're about seven to 10 days in of their alcohol vacation, most of them say, wow, I don't really want to go back. I feel so good. Kind of touching back to like not understanding the correlation of alcohol and the anxiety and the way you feel. Yeah. They're realizing that, wow, my body can feel good. My mental peace of mind can be there when I'm not overly consuming alcohol.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So depending on how long you were drinking is kind of depend on how long you want your alcohol vacation to be. I've had clients that were really good at reintegrating after 30 days. I, myself, I took six months off. That was during quarantine. That was during like all of 2020 when people right. were like having mimosas at 10 a.m. And I was like, don't drink. Um, but I don't think it has to necessarily be that long. I think it just depends on how diligent you are at getting to know who you are and what your goals are, and mm-hmm. how persistent you are in implementing the behavior for your new goals. Yeah. Because I have a client that after 30 days, He was like, I'm good. And now he goes out and has a glass of wine. And is like, that does not take my undivided attention. I'm totally involved in conversation. I'm excited. I have a positive attitude about interacting with people. Whereas before I was kind of like, like in my head, nodding and saying yes, but actually thinking about the next drink. That's kind of his shift. Mm -hmm. I've got another client who wanted to learn to moderate and she's going to start um, integrating it after a 60 day alcohol vacation. So what I say is that basically no matter what route you want to go, the first phase needs to be to cut back, gain some some uh, some wins, get that positive attitude and that confidence to go into basically a self experiment to learn even more about your capabilities and set new exciting goals for your spirit to grow and expand and become so attracted by progress that if you reintroduce alcohol, you're not going to look at it the same because you realize it's going to pull you back if you have too much. Something that I also want to reiterate here is that I understand that alcohol does not have any health factors. The antioxidants are very minimal, but- Our bodies are amazingly efficient at detoxification if we are not over poisoning,
0: Mm. you know,
1: if we only have one or two, sure, it's not amazing for our internal organs. It is classified as a poison, but your body can detoxify that if you're not taking it overboard. And when you actually take that alcohol vacation, if you are looking to reintegrate it, you have a clear understanding of what is appropriate amount Mm -hmm. so that you're not taking it to the limit, taking it to high risk drinking five plus drinks in a sitting. Right. And if somebody gets through their alcohol vacation is like, you know what? I'm good. I don't ever want to drink again. Then they're going to be doing it from a standpoint of like, this is intrinsic motivation rather than forced willpower like AA or the 12 steps or a lot of traditional recovery approaches have it. So like forced upon them versus something that comes from within a desire and a confidence that they love life without alcohol.
0: Yeah. I think that's so beautiful. I think that's amazing because, um, I think that's a lot where the fear comes from. I think like where people think of like cutting it out is like, Oh my God, well then this is forever. Like, then what is life? They don't even know what life looks like without alcohol, you know? And Absolutely. so the fear comes in where it's like, Oh my God, how could I commit to that? I couldn't commit mm-hmm. to being sober forever. So I'm not even going to start the process. Right. But like the process you just kind of explained is so much more like digestible to like the mind to just be like, okay, okay, that's doable. Right. And then once you have that belief in yourself that like, okay, I think that's doable. Then you're so much, I think personally, you're so much more likely to follow through with it. um, Just based off that, like first. Exactly.
1: You know, And think about that. the positive experience from what I explained versus mm-hmm. the experience that's, very typical that you kind of explain as far as like sitting at home on a Friday night crying looking out the window experiencing extreme FOMO like without changing the way you think that's what sobriety will feel like
0: right yep mindset is so important
1: Absolutely. And unfortunately, I really assert that traditional approaches do not give you the right mindset, but put you in that state of rumination and dwelling and shame, mm-hmm. where that's all you're going to continue to attract, which in turn makes you want to continue to drink to escape. So right. it's this self fulfilling doom cycle, really. Mm-hmm. Whereas I believe that this new approach, um, new method, alternative recovery with Magnify is like empowering. And yeah. fun. It's actually fun, uh, which is weird to say, but it really is.
0: Yeah, definitely. I love that. Um, wow, Maggie, I just feel like this conversation, um, I feel like I could keep talking about this for I Emma know, me too. And <laughs> I just get so much, um, just the best energy from you. And I just love this conversation that we've had. Um, we are going to have to cut it off here. Yeah. Now, but before we do that, I just wanted um, to give you a chance to kind of... Um, shout yourself out, if you will. I want to know like what you have available if someone's listening to this and is like, oh my God, like I need to work with this woman or like, I'm just kind of curious what, what, if she could help me or be of any you know, assistance. Yeah. Like what do you, what do you have to offer? Where can people find you?
1: Absolutely. Thank you for that opportunity. Um, I actually created something just for your audience. It is a habits for happiness workbook. Um, I've got habit swaps in there if you're trying to really uh recalibrate your mind your mindfulness um habit swaps around alcohol habit swaps around how to think about alcohol and how to set up your day that if especially if you are continuing to drink and you just want to be more responsible there's some methods in there uh little worksheets as well to help you stay dialed in on your goals so with that one if you guys want to get out a pen You'll go to www.magnify, magnify like the glass, pw.com forward slash habits. If that's too much, you can find me on magnify Maggie, uh, on Instagram at magnify Maggie. And I've got it in my link and bio that way you guys can just find it really easily, but mm-hmm. also stay in touch with my content. I do mindset lessons. I am always putting in positive energy in my stories daily. So mm-hmm. stay, uh, stay in tune with me there. And then on TikTok, I'm at magnify Maggie J. And if anybody's just kind of wanting to research more, you can always Google the magnify method. So I wanted to make make sure I also wanted to make sure you guys know where to find me for more inspiration and education too.
0: Oh, I love that. And I will put those links um, in the description. So wherever you guys are listening um, to this podcast on whatever platform, um, just go to the description and I will link all those links below. So you can just tap and go find Maggie and find all of her amazing things. Um, one click away. So um, Maggie, thank you so much for just everything that you shared with us, sharing your story, sharing um, just uh, so many tidbits and so many, you know, lessons and um, just this whole conversation has just been really great for me. So thank you for taking your time. And I know someone in this audience just needed to hear this. So um, guys, if that's you, if you love this conversation, If you loved Maggie, please, um, please share on social media, Uh, screenshot this episode, tag myself at it's Annie Graft um, and the podcast at let's get uncomfy.podcast and then tag Maggie. And we can, um, you know, we'd love to share that and repost that and just continue to share this message and share this podcast with everyone who sees it. So um, Maggie, thank you so much for your time. And I can't wait to continue to follow you and absorb your content and your energy on social media. I'm sure we'll chat Thank soon. You.
1: Yes, of course. Thank you. It's been such an honor and I can't wait to talk to you soon.
0: Yay. Alrighty. <laughs> Bye. <Okay>. Bye everyone. <laughs> That is all I've got for you today, friends. If this resonated with you or someone you know might enjoy it, go ahead and share it on social media or within your own circle. And if you want to be extra amazing, take a second to rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you're listening from. It would mean the world to me. Anyway, I can't wait to get uncomfy with you next time. But until then, please go out and get uncomfy without me. You got this.